the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. The stock market has been on a tear of recently. Today, not so much. Maybe later, but who really cares? And I could say that almost every single day. The stock market's been on tear for the past eight years. Now, that's coming after a period of time where it was down for 18 months. And it wasn't pretty. And a lot of people gave up only to wallow and lose and miss. Um, I want you to become a better investor. I want you to be patient. I want you to understand that the day-to-day doesn't mean much. And literally, I could say, look, markets open lower. And by the end of the day, they could be higher. So why do we talk so much in the real time? Uh, It doesn't make a lot of sense. Are you going to retire today? Uh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Money, investing, and more. We could talk about Alibaba. It's a company that I recently started telling you a little bit more about. And to me, they have a feel of a poor man's Amazon. But what's interesting about that is, in no way, shape, or form, are they? Um... I don't want you to get too caught up in that. I think they are the Amazon of China. And I think you're going to see China continue to come into their own as a dominant retailer. Consumer market is probably the best way of saying that, right? So when I take a look at Alibaba, Alibaba, uh, what I see and what I like to talk about are sometimes, you know, I think the stock can double. I think they can increase revenue, operating income, and free cash flow for the next few years. Um, I see it at having a lot of upside. It's the world's largest e-commerce business by gross merchandise volume. If you compare it to Amazon, they have about $580 billion in gross merchandise volume. It's got a great leader in Jack Ma. He's extremely focused on the long term. I think he's taking the playbook from Amazon. Alibaba's ecosystem is going to get stronger over the next few years, a lot like the ecosystem of Amazon got stronger when they started adding things like videos and music, advertisement, cloud payments, and ramping every area that they can to kind of create a moat around the company. Uh, Alibaba, ticker symbol Baba, B-A-B-A is expected compound revenue, operating income, and free cash flow at about a 30% rate into 2021. There is a lot of risk on this company. It is not 
a non-risky company. Alibaba possibly could be a trillion-dollar valuation in a few years with stock price well over $300 a share and a market cap over $700 billion. Stock has run up recently, about 80% year-to-date, uh, but still far from fair value. You know, you have to make a lot of assumptions, and that's the problem with China because a lot of people don't trust China. China retail growth of 5 to 7% per year for the next eight years, driven by increased per capita income. You had a pretty big assumption. E-commerce retail penetration increased from 12% in 2016 to 33%. Um, and that's compounding at roughly 25%. Number of Tmall users to grow in the high single digits to mid-teens from 480 million in 2016 to over 800 million by 2024. Driven by increased penetration, tier one through three cities and rural expansion. Number of Taobao users to grow in mid single digits from 480 million in 2016 to roughly 600 million in 2024. Lots of upside in the rural areas of China. And again, see how a lot of assumptions are playing into it? Now, I don't know any Chinese. What I could tell you is their numbers aren't in Chinese, the ones that I'm seeing. And I do know the Chinese political system is not without radical changes that come at random times, seemingly random. I know that their form of capitalism just is different than the U.S.'s form of capitalism. Now, you have President Trump who's like, we're going to go to war with China. We're going to go to trade war with China. China should be stopped in North Korea. And that can cause a stock to underperform. It's worthy of note. A lot of Chinese people prefer to purchase lower quality products knowing full well that they could be fake. So there's a lot of fake products that are out there. So clearly, uh, the bootleg industry that concerns you and me doesn't concern Chinese people. It's a different cultural explanation. Many U.S. investors don't really understand the nuances of Chinese culture. Uh, but they've slowly become a little bit more aware of, of these nuances. Um, Apple was very big as a status symbol for a few years in China, and then it kind of lost a little bit of its luster. If you take a look at the average spending per user, um, it's been increasing, a lot like Amazon, where they get you with the two-day shipping, and then they realize that you went from buying five times a year to buying 20 times a year over five years. So... Advertising revenue is going to be a key source of upside. It should grow at 25 plus percent rates for years. Cloud revenue should increase at very fast triple digits or high double digits for many years. Could increase even more. Ali Cloud is number one in China by a huge margin. Continue to expect that to increase, as did Amazon Web Services. Long-term operating margins are much better in the cloud than they are in uh, the real world of selling things. They've got digital media companies and entertainment companies like Yuku, Tudu. And to me, that looks like YouTube, right? They got UC Web, they got UNOS, they got Auto Navi. So there's a lot going on there. And, you know, you have to look at EBITDA, um, which is a fancy word for an economic statistic that basically is made up. It's earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. And don't you wish you could have earnings before tax, interest on your debt? 
uh, amateurs. Like it's kind of a made up number, right? So if you don't like Alibaba, they've got a, a player going against them called JDcom, and uh, you know, does JDcom have the logistics that are superior to Alibaba's? There's a lot of risk, like I said. So there's competitive risk, there's political risk, there's currency devaluation, there's key man risk if Jack Ma decides to retire or die. They've got integration risk with different business models. They've got accounting risk. No hard-pressed evidence so far has ever been given to the SEC on their financials. Um, like I said, competitive risk. But they're doing what they can to build the moats around their business at this point in time. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Welcome back again, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. I do my best to curate the news, information, business ideas, my years of working as an investment advisor and uh, you know, understanding the financial planning world to kind of bring you a show dedicated to getting you to retirement. You can learn more about me at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Our favorite caller, Juliet's on the line, 800-516-1220. How are you, Juliet? Yeah. Hey, RB. How are you? I'm good, Jay. Hey, so I have a question. You said you're going to do a little bit of research on this. Bitcoin just keeps going up and up. It's at 4600 today. And why does it keep driving up? Do you own Should Bitcoin? Should have bought more. Huh? Do you own a Bitcoin? I do. And Litecoin, lithium, and things like that. You've got more cojones than me. Um <laughs> I'm not making money. A, I want to know why it's driving up. Should I sell? I have no idea, but I'll talk about it for you. Um, I think there's a, a concept that this is an alternative, alternative moonshot. And what that means is you should put 1% of your money into crazy ideas, if that's what you feel like doing. And you <laughs> did, and congratulations. one percent 1%, 1% can make you 10%. And it's better if you lose 1%, you're not going to cry. Um, but let me talk about it, and thanks for the call. Bitcoin has an had an unbridled march to 4,600. Now, just before we say it's crazy up, because it is crazy up, I want to throw out some headlines for you. Um, Bitcoin miners are making a killing in transaction fees. Bitcoin tumbles below 4,000. Bitcoin um, hits a record. Bitcoin is back above 4,000. Bitcoin is breaking records. Bitcoin is tumbling. Bitcoin is sliding. Bitcoin is tumbling. Bitcoin is sinking as Bitcoin cash goes live. Uh, Bitcoin Cash is crashing. Uh, the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum is slipping, but Bitcoin Cash is rising. So there's a lot of up and a lot of down, but the trend is is momentumly higher. Uh, and it's it's tough to argue. Bitcoin has been on a tear since uh, since it split in August, resulting in the creation of Bitcoin Cash. Um, a Bitcoin investor, a guy named Dennis Porto, who's out of Harvard. He said that over the long term, he noticed Bitcoin's price was following Moore's law and growing exponentially. He said he thought Bitcoin could reach 100000 by 2021, as long as that continued. That, to me, just feels speculative. So what do you, you ask what's driving Bitcoin? It's speculation right now. Um, right now, there's some world currency questions. Where do you put money? Uh, North Korea fires a missile over Japan. Do you put it in the yen? 
No, because typically when people get fearful, they put money in the yen. They take it out of the dollar and other sources and put it in the yen. Now, South Korea has a lot to lose. Their currency is going lower. Um, you know, Bitcoin, cash is a derivative of Bitcoin. and It's trading for about $580 per coin. Um, I'm not going to say I'm proud of you for, you know, making this move. It's speculative. And that's what ultimately is driving it. Um, it's speculation that there's a worst-case scenario out there. It's speculation that U.S. economy is going to collapse under Social Security, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, Medi-Cal, um, all the different social programs that we have. And the debt ceiling continues to climb higher and higher and higher. For Americans, the soaring value seems like a puzzle on Bitcoin. It does. It doesn't seem like the payment network is any closer to mainstream acceptance than it is. Um, but it's got some soaring demand in Asia, and any time I've been told that a company, uh, a major company, gets hacked and their data gets stolen, it's been told that the pirates, the hackers, want to be paid in Bitcoin. Um, and supposedly it, it's had some large transactions. The Japanese government formally recognized the cryptocurrency in April, given its greater legitimacy in Asia's major uh, economy, Japan. There's been steady growth of international money transfers, servicing services that use Bitcoin to move cash from one country to another. Um, ultimately, some people say, and this, Juliet, this is the cautious note. So one person says it can go to 100,000. Another person says it can go to zero in large part because it's hackable. Anything that's encrypted can be encrypted in theory. Um, Bitcoin's been in the news recently, like I said, because of ransomware often demanding Bitcoin payments from victims. Now, that's not great news for cryptocurrencies images, but it nevertheless drives demand. The latest surge in Bitcoin's price is likely to end in tears for a lot of investors um, because ultimately it, it has only value that people are willing to place on it. There have been three previous times when Bitcoin's value has soared like this, once in 2011, once in 2013, and each boom was followed by a dramatic crash. Uh, Bitcoin is an alternative to the dollar. It's a currency. It's a cryptocurrency because it's encrypted. Bitcoin's become more international since 2013. Bitcoin reached a high of 5 million won in South Korea on May 25. The equivalent of about $4,500 and far higher than the U.S. price at the time, which was about $2,700. There's intense interest in virtual currency in Japan and South Korea. Um, Japan's formal recognition of Bitcoin is a significant factor behind the recent boom. The Japanese legislature had to go a step further and pass rules specifically spelling out how Japanese financial regulations would apply to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. If you go out and read, you know, just Google the, uh, you know, cryptocurrency flaws or cryptocurrency bad news, sometimes it's been hacked and uh, a large amount of value has been stolen. So... Um, it's got a tiny share of the global market for money transfers, a tiny share of currency values. And that's about all I can throw out at you. Uh, North America represents a small fraction of the customers in all their categories, which are start with money transfers. Um, a big reason for that is the global financial institution system right now is based on the U.S. dollar. Bitcoin fans don't like to talk about the network's illicit uses, like illegal drugs on underground websites. Um, pirates hacker hackerware, I guess it's ransomware. Um, but none of the all, all everything I've said really pulls it all together for the overall demand on Bitcoin. Um, 
if you value all the Bitcoins in existence today, it's about $45 billion, which is a relatively small sum. So you've got a lot of uh, speculation on very little opportunity, on very little um, supply. So when Bitcoin's price went from less than a dollar to $30 in a matter of weeks, back in 2011, it fell all the way back to three. Um, and again, there was another bubble like that in 2013. So be cautious. Um, I think Morgan Stanley recently did a report on Bitcoin going to 5,000 before it goes down. Um, I own none. Um, so, yeah, Morgan Stanley says you should spend it, not buy it. Um, that came out in July. So just Google Morgan Stanley Bitcoin, and you may find a little bit more analysis from someone who knows a lot more about it than me. Um, Bitcoin acceptance is virtually zero at this point in time and shrinking. So uh, Morgan Stanley went as far as to say it's not viable. But again, I'm not stopping you. Um, you've done great. Good luck. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Don't forget, I always have seminars coming up. When I do, you can sign up online at Rob Black Show. You could use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. It's RADIO25 for free. Come to Marin in the near future in about two weeks. Sign up at robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Talk stock talk. I'm all about it. Anything you want to chat about, we can talk about. Uh, where no man has gone before. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's a five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. The continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. Voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Scotty, beam us up. He's dead, Jim. You know the line, Scotty, beam us up, was never actually spoken in the television series. Interesting of note. I love the, the line by Captain D. Kirk. Captain James D. Kirk. All right, you mutinous, disloyal, computerized half-breed. We'll see about you deserting my ship. Oh, my, my, my. Spockers, the term half-breed is somewhat applicable, but computerized is inaccurate. A machine cannot be computerized. Not a man. Spock, my mother was a teacher. My father was an ambassador. Kirk, your father was a computer like his son, an ambassador from a planet of traitors. The Vulcan never lived who had one ounce of integrity. So, why am I throwing this out? Because I'm all shook up like Elvis Presley. I'm talking American culture. I'm actually talking 60 years ago. 60 years ago. We started thinking about space as an investment. We had a short, repeating string of boops and beeps. It turned out to be the broadcast of a distant metal orb the size of a beach ball with four long antenna. It was the Soviet Union Sputnik. It became the first artificial satellite launched into orbit. 
And then we started a space race with Russia. And for those super nerds, you know that the satellite had a unique sound signature. Now, 60 years later, 60 years into the space race, does it feel like we're in a space race? You get billionaire players. Um, and it's creating some of the fastest change in 60 years. So SpaceX is a side project of Elon Musk. It's grabbed a leading market share in commercial satellite launches by undercutting its main rival by about 40%. So Musk says, you know, U.S. government, if you want us to launch satellites in the air for you, it's, you know, X amount of millions. But if you've got an Amazon Prime account, we'll take off 10%. And if you use your Amazon credit card, we'll take off another 5%. So Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, privately owned Blue Horizon is his company. Um, and Tesla's got Elon Musk. So Amazon plans to compete on launches and has a vision of moving manufacturing to space, which I don't understand. I don't understand. Uh, I'm talking about robots, you know, putting jobs in space. I don't think a lot of people are going to be signing up for that job. Hello, robots. So Richard Branson, another billionaire. I think he's a billionaire. Um, some of these guys, it's tough to tell because so, they hide behind corporations. But he's got the Virgin Group. He hopes to sell space flights to vacationers. So Amazon wants to manufacture in space and deliver satellites. And Tesla's all about They're the number one commercial satellites player right now. So launch costs have fallen enormously in the past decade. And companies like Amazon, well, particularly Elon Musk and SpaceX have figured out how to launch a lot of the space equipment and get it back versus just dumping it in the ocean. So you got a lot cheaper satellites. Um, there's a company called CubeSat. Some of the better financed ones aim to launch communication satellites into low orbit by the hundreds or even the thousands covering the globe with data services and upending the incumbent players on a handful of their highly costly expensive high orbit satellites. When I was a kid just out of uh, middle school and just starting my satellite, uh, just starting high school, um, I kind of learned how to break into Sprint's um, satellite with a couple friends. We kind of hacked into it and we were making long distance calls for free. Woo! Um, when you're in high school, you're like getting high. Phone calls, long distance calls used to cost a lot of money. This is something the millennials are going, what are you talking about? You at least had 3,000 minutes. I remember that. No, not so much. Um, I remember a minute on a phone call sometimes it cost like 28 cents. You called at the wrong time. So on the commercial side, there's going to be a cyclical downturn in satellites because satellites offer so much more bandwidth than they use and then they typically replace. So that demand has yet to catch up. But public investors are, you know, they don't know what to do with investing in space. So spending is going to grow 6% a year compounded over the next five years, which is good. And it's going to benefit companies like Boeing and Lockheed Martin, a company called Orbital, ticker spell OA. Lockheed Martin's LMT, Boeing is BA. Now, again, the smaller contractor like an Orbital has a lot of upside. A traditional satellite takes about two to three years to build and costs about $300 million. Half for the hardware, a third for the launch, and the rest for the insurance. Once operational, it generates about $40 million to $60 million a year in cash for 15 years. Right now, there's about 1,500 satellites in orbit. 
including a quarter for military use. Um, the U.S. is the biggest player, controls about 40% of the world's satellites, followed by China at 13% and Russia at 10%. So most use what's considered a multi-stage expendable rocket to escape the atmosphere. So the space shuttle program, which was built around crude reusable spacecraft, ended six years ago after more than 130 successful flights and two deadly failures. So, but what's old is coming new again, so to speak. Um, SpaceX launched a Falcon 9 rocket from Cape Canaveral and delivered a communication satellite into uh, orbit. And it got the return value on that rocket, very valuable 14-story main body, to a drone ship floating in the Atlantic Ocean. So that was very, very unique. Now, Jeff Bezos, worth more than $80 billion, and he's the Amazon.com founder, says he's selling a billion dollars of stock a year to fund Blue Horizon, a space tourism and payload launch venture. Ultimately, he sees manufacturing going to space. Elon Musk's got about a $16 billion personal fortune, and he's taken a leading share in the commercial rocket launch so far. Next up, he wants to do satellite broadband, and long-term, he wants to colonize Mars. Then you get Richard Branson. He's worth roughly $5 billion. Um, he was uh, his Virgin Galactic had a you know deadly crash in 2014, but he's still doing tests and still trying to figure it out. Uh, Paul Allen from Microsoft with 20 billion dollars in wealth, the owner of Pro Sports Teams. He's got his sights set on the world's largest plane, which is a Strata Launch, six-engine aircraft that can carry three satellite launch vehicles to the upper atmosphere. So a lot going on. A lot going on. Um, you got some early disruptors in the funding of it. So uh, there's one company called OneWeb, and they're backed by Virgin, Qualcomm, and SoftBank. So and they're going to do a constellation of 720 low orbit communication satellites. So things are starting to get kind of crazy, though. You know, when Bezos is selling a billion dollars Amazon stock to invest in Blue Origin, there's a lot of money going at it. So, would you invest in satellites? Would you invest in space, the final frontier? Um, it's a good question. So, um, Captain, striking a federal officer is a court martial offense. I do miss. I do miss. How bad uh, Kirk was as an actor. There seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Don't you love that? That kind of includes himself, right? Scotty, when you can get off that milk diet, laddie? Now, Scotch is a real drink for a man. Check off. Scotch was admitted by a little old lady from Leningrad. So that's what we got. Engineers, doctors, madmen, all rushing to get into space. Oh, by the way, what's old is new again, right? CBS, publicly traded. Um, company going to be relaunching another version of Star Trek. Um, so again, what is old is new. Don't forget, I got a big event coming up in San Rafael, California, September 9th. Retirement income strategies and estate planning. You can get in for free using the code Radio Twenty Five. It's Radio Twenty Five. The four points by Sheraton in San Rafael. Uh, ten Ten Northgate Drive. Retirement planning is more complicated than ever, and it can be hard to even know where to begin. Um, I'll be going over some stocks. Michelle Lumber's going to be going over state planning. Chad's going to be going over social security strategies, good and bad retirement products, managing your IRAs and your 401ks, measuring risk, passive versus active portfolio management, choosing the right accounts to draw from first, 
Again, it's the retirement income strategies and estate planning seminar. Coming up a couple weeks from now in San Rafael, September 9th from 10 to noon. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Do a little stock talk action right now. I always have seminars coming up. You can find out more about seminars by going to Rob Black Show and look for upcoming events. And when you click on it, you'll see that there's a sign-up and that there's typically a $25 fee. Um, It's really to keep the crazy people out that are looking to become millionaires overnight. That's not what I do. There's other people who will gladly take your foolish money. Not me. Um, So when you sign up for seminars, you can use the code RADIO25, RADIO25. I promise you'll learn something valuable that will help you with $100,000, $500,000 decisions in your life. So you can sign up for events at Rob Black Show. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. You'll hear commercials running. Use code RADIO25 when you do. Over the weekend, I was looking at somebody I kind of love to hate. And I've mentioned him on the air before, and he's actually called me personally um, to basically tell me to stop it. And it's Ken Fisher. And he's just some of those, he's someone that I don't really like as I, I love what he's done. I don't like that. He's turned into a factory. Um, and I think if he were to look seriously at himself, he would see that that's kind of what it is. His firm has gotten really big and it was based on some great principles, but as you get bigger, you have to compromise some of those principles where you used to be able to oversee everything. You kind of become more big picture as you grow. And he wrote an article talking about cars and, you know, he saw a presentation by Toyota and, you know, Toyota was pushing the autonomous driving and Toyota shaping technology to make it, you know, your soulmate. They're trying to figure out your emotions while you're driving. And I don't doubt that we'll get there. I, I, I don't like that that's the focus of his article because as an investor, you look to him to say something smart. And when he's starting to talk about basically the PR, the press releases that companies like Toyota put together to go, ooh, and wow you to like buy into the brand and to listen to the brand and think about the brand and go, I better buy a Toyota because they're going to down the road have the car that makes understands my emotional comfort levels. And they're going to see what I'm down to make the car more fun. Um, so... Fisher's fine. I think he's more of a business. He's more of a factory. I've seen his salespeople. I've seen them do meetings without him. I see what they talk about clients behind his back. I see that his business model incentivizes them. Um, No, he doesn't push annuities, but he's not my cup of tea. And that's fine. We're allowed to disagree. And I think that's totally good. (laughs) To be honest with you, it's pretty darn healthy. Um, So... A lot like Jim Cramer, where he gets people excited about investing, he doesn't have a track record of making you money. So don't buy into it. He doesn't have a track record of getting to know you. He's made some of the worst financial decisions in financial media ever. Um, just go Google John Stewart and Jim Cramer, and you'll He's see. Like, nuts! Oh, They're nuts! They know nothing! He can be wrong, really, really wrong, as in that case. Um, and what I used to hate about his show, and he's kind of pulled away from it because I think he hurt too many people, was that he was definitive. And I, I think that's the wrong thing to ever be when it comes to investing. Um, you can have mantras, you can have memes that define you, so to speak, 
but don't go out and like say, I think Google's a great stock. I do think Google's a great stock for me. But is it appropriate for a farmer in Iowa who is in a tractor all day long and can't watch it? Maybe not. So I just throw that out there for you. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Stocks and the word overpriced or value or growth or hyper, it, it really gets into our head a lot. So celebrating the 30th anniversary of the 1987 stock market crash, it really makes us all start thinking about some of the price-to-earnings ratios that we're comfortable with. We start thinking about, in the Wall Street world, of the 1929 crash. The Great Depression was set in motion from it. People killed themselves. We could take a look at the 2000 area, you know, 98 to 2000, where we got the dot-com bust. We can always look back at history and go, okay, what was the price-to-earnings ratio? What was the price-to-sales ratio? What, what can we learn from then that we could use today? Things change is the first thing that we must understand. And there is a renaissance going on of macro investing. Um, 30 years ago seems like yesterday for a lot of people. So people try to probe you know, what institutional and individual investors you know, did well and, and badly that day. And we kind of boil it down to a lot of buy what you're comfortable with within P.E. ratios. Don't overextend yourself. Don't assume that a company is going to... Um, hit home runs if they've always hit home runs. Uh, you have to build in best case, worst case, and then maybe you get somewhere in between. Um, the Federal Reserve issued a carefully worded statement that said margin was extensive and in 1929. There was a fear that a correction was coming. They knew it was coming. A year before the market boomed in 1929, a guy named Clarence Barron, he believed the experience of World War I, World War I strengthened people psychologically. He basically said every war stimulates the energies of the people, increases their daring, their spirit of adventure, and takes away the fear of borrowing. The result is that business conservatism is thrown to the winds, and borrowing and construction continue on the basis of hope. Wow. He basically said wars make us want to die or take chances where we could die, where we're not afraid to die. And he basically called investing a casino. Uh, because we come out of World War One and we we needed that high. Don't get inv- don't get don't do invest when you get high. Day's lesson, you know. There's a bear market for sure coming. There's a housing market problem coming. Uh, where is the economy going to go? Will robots take our jobs? Build a good good portfolio that's diverse and uh, do a lot of homework on it. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.